Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine. That's Premier Christianity, which sponsors this show. If you'd like a free copy of the magazine, you can request one at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Premier Christianity is the magazine that I edit, features loads more interviews, news, reviews, features and more. But today here on Premier Christian Radio on The Profile, I'm pleased to say I'm speaking to New Wine's national leader, Paul Harcourt. New Wine is a network of thousands of churches across many denominations, but it's perhaps best known for its summer events, which for many years were based in Shepton Mallet, but this year has moved to Peterborough. It's a week-long event built around worship, teaching and ministry, and it's one of the most well-attended conferences in the Christian calendar. On top of leading New Wine, Paul is also the vicar at All Saints Woodford Wells in North London and the author of a number of books, including most recently, Greater Things, The Story of New Wine So Far. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. We always like to start by asking about a person's early life growing up. So tell me a bit about what life was like growing up for you. Where was it? Uh, well, I grew up in Harlow in Essex, um, parents to teachers, did the usual comprehensive school thing and went to a really traditional local church, which um, I loved growing up. It was one of those churches really that was very strong on the holiness of God. So sort of more high church tradition in lots of ways. And being brought up in that, you know, I was involved there every Sunday for all of my life, really. Um, believed everything I was taught, but in many ways didn't really get the personal side of faith. Um, felt through that experience that God was still quite quite distant, believed, but didn't necessarily live it out in a way that made much difference to me during the week. Was that Church of England? Yes, it's Church of England Church. Yeah. yeah. So I did all the sort of, you know, wearing robes, carrying candles, carrying <laughs> crosses, graduated through the ranks. Wow, quite different, I suppose, to the expression of Christianity we might now find at New Wine today, which is, I guess, less formal, if that's the right word? Well, definitely, yes. So I'm really grateful for that upbringing. But what happened for me was, um, as just a series of crises in people's lives, you know, death of a friend and um, all sorts of issues that you're thinking through in your mm. late teens, went off to university and uh, for the first time at university really encountered evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians um, who would actually sit down and read the Bible, recreationally even, <laughs> uh, whereas I just heard it read in church. And so I, I went to the Christian Union, thinking that was a good thing to do. And just through reading the Bible, my faith came alive. I suddenly realized that, I suppose I'd heard it in church, but the penny hadn't dropped until I read it for myself. Mm. So I realized who Jesus was, what he'd done for me, and I uh, just got very committed to, to sharing that with other people. So looking back, is there a particular moment where you'd say you became a Christian? I mean, did that happen early on with your early church experience or, or was it really later, as you say, at university? No, I think for me, it was a real gradual process. Um, when I met this sort of evangelical expression of Christianity, I heard for the first time that there was a prayer you had to pray. And so I, I did quietly kneel down and pray that prayer. But, you know, I think I was in a relationship with God before that. It's just that that relationship was unfolding all the time. And... Um, you know, my, my faith, it didn't feel as though I'd suddenly got a faith I hadn't had before. It just felt as though the faith I had had come alive in a new way. So what happened next? Because obviously, ultimately, this led to a calling into, into ministry. Did that happen quite soon after university? 
Um, well, even at university, right. really. So as an 18-year-old going to university, just within the first term of being there, I was immediately immersed in the sort of evangelical scene and very quickly got involved in sharing faith with foreign visitors. So I did a lot of overseas student evangelism. Um, and that really was an, an experience of stepping into leadership as well. And so I was learning all the time. And I was really hungry, actually, for more. Uh, I felt that um, I wasn't seeing the change in the lives of the overseas students that I'd seen in my own life. And so I think I'd been praying more and more that God would do something. And um, really, without anybody praying for me, God answered that prayer in a sort of, I would now call I was filled with the Spirit. Right, um, okay. Happened over a course of about a week. Every time I lay down to go to sleep, I just would feel the presence of God in the room. Was overwhelmed by feelings of of peace and of joy. Um, and I think, as well as my faith coming alive, at the same time also there was some sort of anointing or equipping for what we were doing because we carried on doing all these Bible studies with overseas guests as badly as we'd ever done them, <laughs> and yet people started coming to faith mm. in ways that we hadn't seen before. Wow. And it was in that, I guess, got a real sense of this, you know, I could give my life to this. Wow. Um, got a, a great sense of um, the beauty of what the church is and what we have in the gospel, and got a sense of call mm. to leadership. So I went forward for a selection conference for the Church of England ministry, I think at the age of 20, before I'd even graduated and um, went straight into the Theological yeah. College and got ordained quite young. So, so at that point in the Church of England, how much of an understanding was there of, of what you just experienced in terms of filling, filling of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit really changing your, your life, changing your Christian ministry? Were there others in the Church of England who you could look to at that time of having similar experiences? Was this quite a, I don't, I don't know, a well-understood thing within the Church of England, within your context? Well, I think there were quite a few around because I'm not quite that old. Um, and of course, the church had been experiencing charismatic renewal uh, right the way through the 60s, 70s, 80s. This is by now the mid to late 80s. But I'd come from a part of the church that probably hadn't been so touched. I didn't really know any charismatics. Um, I'd been in solidly evangelical territory as a student. Um, but this experience really of, of being filled with the Spirit opened up the Bible to me in a fresh way. And it was actually when I went to theological college that I first met uh, charismatics, um, met people who were in the early days of New Wine, who were able to just explain to me a little bit better some of the things I was beginning to rethink and give me a model for ministry to know how you can actually partner with God in these sorts mm. of ways. Mm. What would you say to someone who perhaps hasn't had that experience of being filled with the Spirit? Um what would be your advice to them if that's if they if they're thinking that sounds something interesting I've not encountered that in my church how do I get it what does it look like what does it mean what would you say to them well I think if anybody's hungry then God will answer I and mean, we don't have a God of frustration you know it's not like he gives us something good and he puts it slightly out of reach you know he will ask us to reach for things and you know we're, we're meant to hunger and thirst after righteousness we're meant to eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit you know we're meant to be passionate about his kingdom and so if we keep praying that God will fill us, then trust that he'll answer that prayer. Mm. Often what helps is to go to somewhere perhaps where the spiritual temperature is a bit warmer. Sometimes it means we step out of our comfort zone of what we've known, which is familiar and often safe and predictable. Um, and we go somewhere where perhaps there's um, an opportunity to encounter God in a fresh way. Mm. So coming back to your story, um, you're pursuing a calling in the Church of England, going into ministry. What came next? 
Well, um, for me, the, the years at Theological College were, were great years of, of doing all the things you need to do to prepare for ministry, but also just spending time with, with fellow students and, and learning to practice what it is to walk in partnership with God. Mm. So it was during that time, really, I learned about you know how to pray for the sick, how to minister to people in the power of the Spirit, and um, that led me um, to a conviction that the ministry that Jesus gave to his disciples is the ministry he still gives to the church. That just as he sought to involve the disciples in um, the things that he was doing, um, he wants us to continue those things. And so I looked for a church that was somewhere where I could continue to grow in that and practice it. Um, and I said to God, I, you know, uh, I knew we were getting married just before um, I was ordained. So I said, I don't really want to go away too far away from my family. My wife's American. She's got no family here. So no further north than Liverpool and no further west than Bristol. And I ended up on the Wirral, which is right in the corner of that. It's pretty much as north as Liverpool and it's pretty much as west as Bristol. Brilliant. So we went to a great church on the Wirral called Christchurch Morton. We were there for three years and um, really quite a formative time for us. Mm. So what changed in your thinking in that, in that initial kind of uh, ministry in the Church of England? Why, why was it formative? What, what happened for you? Well, I think it's formative in the sense that um, once you start you know, working out what it is to, to be in ministry, you know, then, then you, you face the reality of the challenges that come with it. And you know that you need to kind of dig those deep wells of a personal relationship with God that will really sustain the outward going stuff. Mm. But I was there as well between 92 and 95. And um, some people might remember that there was a very powerful move of the Holy Spirit in 1994 that eventually became known as the Toronto Blessing because it originated from a small church near Toronto Airport. Um, and our church had a very powerful experience of that as well. So for me, um, just another step into surrender to God, mm. allowing God to um, to have, I think, to have more of me, allowing yeah. him to have more control in my life. So I'd come from um, quite a an intellectual sort of approach to life. You know, I was a mathematician as a student, um, I'm still very head over heart, you know, sort of rational, logical. And so often the emotional side of, of faith was something that that I believed but wasn't particularly touched by. You know, I, I loved God, but it wasn't that passionate love for God. Um, for me, that uh, that move of the Spirit in 1994 was, was really about um, understanding the overwhelming love of God for me. Um, so it was a very liberating, very healing experience. Um, I'm still logical, rational, head over heart and all of that. But there's this sense now of being able to perhaps step out in faith, not needing to understand things all the time. Mm. Um, the Proverbs say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart mm. and don't lean on your understanding. So it was that just getting out of that, um, the natural into more of the supernatural. And that really launched me in, in the sort of ministry I felt that God was calling me to. We've spoken about Toronto and 94 on this show with a few different people. Mm. And um, it is fascinating to kind of look back on, I guess, recent church history is what it is, certainly for evangelicals of this time where the Holy Spirit seemed to be doing amazing things. And there are all sorts of testimonies of healings and prophecies and people falling on the floor and people shaking. I imagine if you were quite a rational person, some of that might have been almost a bit scary to begin with um, because some of the stories are, are quite... I hesitate to use the word extreme, but quite surprising when you hear people talk of this time. So I guess I have two questions. One is, is, is how did you process that if you're more of a logical person and did you have questions? But, but secondly, um, with, with Toronto as well, why is it that we look back on 94 
And for many people, they would say, well, I haven't really seen anything like that since. And why is it that the Holy Spirit would do something at one point for one year? And we haven't seen the extent of that since, arguably. Well, I suppose the first thing to say, it wasn't one year. You know, it rolled on for a number of years in a number of places. In many ways, you'd say the fruit of it is still moving. Um, but would you say the, back, the fruit of it is as strong now as it was then? No, I think we're probably not seeing the move of the Spirit like that now. Right. I believe we will see it again soon, actually. Uh, I do know that when it comes, it'll look quite different from what it did last time, because history tells us that God really shows up in the same way. Mm-hmm. But my own testimony really is is that um, that you know the, the fullness of the experience, um, the the emotional aspects of being a Christian actually encountering God, that that is for everybody. It's not just for people of a particular personality type or, or emotional disposition. Uh, and so for me, for somebody who is quite quite cerebral, quite logical, um, to know that actually our God is a consuming fire, mm-hmm. you know, that he does want to touch us like that, that was, that was really significant. Um, a few years ago, my wife and I realized that uh, in different ways, we both had to overcome our own in emotional background, our own internal disposition, in order to step into the great things of God. And we looked at the, um, the passage where Jesus walks on the water, and it, when it, it says in that passage that when Jesus turns up, the disciples are afraid, because uh, they're seeing Jesus do something he hasn't done before in their experience. And I think that's actually quite a normal experience for Christians, that when God does move in a way we haven't seen, we're afraid. And sometimes people say, well, this can't be God, because if it was God, I'd feel totally comfortable. I've, you know, I've known God all of my life. You know, I've got a relationship with him. But of course, we only ever really know a bit of God, and, and our God is too small. Mm. Um, and so when God reveals himself in more of his glory, more of his power, then often we do feel small. And of course, in, in Scripture, whenever God shows up, people are afraid. Even when the angels show up, the first thing they have to say is, don't be afraid, because they're scary. And so it's a normal thing to be slightly afraid in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we're just getting used to the fact that he's bigger and greater and, and more wonderful than our imagination. The thing that really needs to be said, though, is that in that fear, Jesus is always reassuring as well. So the disciples are afraid. They think he's a ghost. But Jesus says, take heart. Don't be afraid. It's me. And that was my experience. You know, there were a lot of things going on that I didn't understand. Probably some of them we weren't handling very well as, as a church because we didn't know. But in the middle of it all, even though I felt totally out of my comfort zone, I just felt Jesus saying, this is me, this is real. Mm. And so although I was on the fringes of that experience for a, a few weeks, um, I then had my own encounter with Jesus that made me realize that yes he was doing something new and of course after being at that church uh, I believe it was straight after that you moved down to All Saints didn't you yeah well I came down in 1995 to be the curate in charge of the daughter church at All Saints so a great church called St Andrews and um, another good step for me and Becky we're still in our 20s and um, moved down to lead a church where there had been quite a little, uh, quite a history of renewal, even though the church was quite small, mm. and so we were able to lead. But we're working under um, Michael Cole, who was the vicar of All Saints and been a, a great writer on charismatic renewal uh, in the 70s and 80s. And um, you know, again, another little step up in terms of a bit more responsibility. And we saw um, a small move of God there. We saw the church build by the grace of God. And I'd heard the Lord speak to me very early on that. Um, he just put it into my heart that I'd be the next vicar of the big church. Hmm. 
Now, usually you don't move from curate to vicar in the same parish in the Church of England. But there was a strong enough word that I thought, you know, we need just to stay here and see what God does. And um, after five years at the Daughter Church, that's that's what happened. Uh, So I became vicar of All Saints in 2000 and um, 19 years after that, 24 years in the parish now. It's a long time. Still there. Yeah. That is a lo- that is a long time. Is is that is that length again? Is that unusual for the Church of England, or is that more? It's more common in the larger churches. Um, I think because they're quite complicated beasts, and it takes a long time to get anything done if you're going to change a culture there. But really, what's happened is that every four or five years, the job I've been doing has fundamentally changed. You know, there's been a different challenge. Church has grown, or we've taken on other churches. Yeah. So now, actually, we we have this network of six churches in northeast London. So that's a new way of leading. Um, In the last three years, having taken on the leadership in New Wine, Mm. I now do the local church side in three days a week. So again, that's another different way of leading. But the congregation have been fantastic and they've allowed us to grow with them and um, just been incredibly supportive. Mm. So what have you um, learnt over that time leading a church or being involved in church for for 19 plus years? And what what would you say has changed in that time um, of the makeup of that church and the way that you've led it and the, the lessons that you've learned? Well, I was I was able to come in and build on the church which had very good foundations. Um, and I think that is, th- that is the essence, really. We need to make sure that, that we're laying good foundations in churches based on what the Bible is teaching, but but not in a in a way where we're just communicating information. What we're trying to do is lead people into an encounter. Mm. And so the thing that thrills me more than anything else is this growing sense of people meeting with God, of his presence, um, people getting fresh vision for how they can then extend his kingdom in the different parts of their life. And we do different service styles. Some are quite traditional, some are very contemporary. And and yet it's all with that same vision of let's let's press in, let's encounter God. Mm. And it is it it does take time because you need to build the culture that God's shown you. you need to uh, recruit people who who share that vision. You need to raise up leadership so that you can extend. Um, it's been an, an amazing adventure. I wouldn't swap it for the world, but it's been quite tough at some mm. times as we've faced quite quite big challenges and moved into some quite big responsibilities as well. What what are the practical implications of trying to build a church service around seeking after the presence of God? What what do those changes look like practically in order to uh, try and enable that to happen in a greater way? Yeah, well, I think often people think about charismatic renewal as if it's something you could just bolt on to your normal current experience of church. So it wouldn't be great if we do exactly what we do, which we know and we love and we're safe and familiar with, and then maybe have a little bit of healing on top or a little (laughs) bit. And it doesn't work like that. So God wants to take his church back, and that means that we need to submit all of our agendas and styles and everything else to him. And so the, the essence for me has always been about seeking to encounter God. And in practice, um, that often means looking like more extended times of worship so that we can give ourselves in an approach to God, um, singing to him, not just about him. Mm -hmm. Um, It it means waiting on the Spirit of God, which is a key new wine value, that actually God does want to do things. So let's not tell him what he's going to do. Let's just wait, ask the Holy Spirit to come, see what God wants to do. And just learning the ways of cooperating with the Spirit. Mm that he then will do the things that, that we can't do. So just just in the last few weeks, we've had people coming into our church who just had no real contact with the church for years before, woke up in the morning and felt, I just need to go to church. 
and then they come in and the, the presence of God is so tangible in the service that, that they're struck by something, they, they come forward at the end of the service, um, we lead them to faith, we, we baptize three people on Sunday night who was only their first time in church two weeks ago. Wow. Uh, so when you see that happen, then you think, yeah, I think God is in charge mm-hmm. of this church and uh, we need to get out of the way and practice what that looks like to let him do what only he can do. I imagine those good stories keep you going on the harder days as well. They really do. And I wouldn't want people to think that that's every single week or (laughs) that that's been our experience for every year. But we're coming to a place where that's becoming increasingly common. And one of the reasons I think we may be on the edge of a new move of the Holy Spirit is that I hear that in many contexts up and down England. Hmm. I'd love to dig into that a bit more because... I again one of the privileges of this job is I get to talk to people and, and hear some of the, the good stories you know the highs and the lows we talk about everything here but um, you're not the first person to have said you think a new wave of the spirit is, is on the way I've heard other people talking like that I had one Christian leader tell me recently that every church plant he's aware of is growing and that he couldn't have said that in, in previous years and he feels like something new is, is happening there it's difficult to tally that with the overall statistics though I mean if we just look at the Church of England really all of the statistics look like decline. We've we've heard recently less than 2% of young people in the country identify with the Church of England, for example. Um, and then the most recent figures are showing a, a drop of the number of people attending Sunday services, a drop of 18,000 yeah. people over the past uh, past year, the last time the research was done. So, so how do we tally these two things? Of On the one hand, hearing these amazing stories of baptisms and people walking to, into church and becoming Christians. And on the other hand, the, the statistics from the same denomination of churches saying overall we're losing people and less and less people are turning up and less and less people actually are engaging with the Church of England. Yes, I mean, I think um, it, what's really interesting is that the whole way that God works is resurrection from within death. And so you'll often find that something dies in order for something to be reborn. And so that's that's going on. So we, we see life and death at the same time. Um, there are many people that are really faithfully plugging away and serving their communities and perhaps where the population is has moved now. So those church was, those churches will naturally struggle. There are churches that are surrounded by thousands of people, but they're, they're perhaps not presenting the gospel in a way that those people need to have it presented to them. Often we're clinging on to some of the old forms or the old shapes that served us well in the past but don't serve us so well now. And so I think there is this need for the church always to be reborn in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you'll have a patchy picture across the country. One of the reasons why I'm so encouraged um, is because we're hearing these stories with greater frequency. But I think we're also in the middle of a very unusual, um, for recent history at least, move of the Spirit in terms of stirring people up to pray. Mm. Uh, It seems that sort of every year Kingdom Come, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury's initiative gets bigger and bigger. There are other moves of prayer. Many churches are doing weeks of prayer or nights of prayer. Um, some of the streams of the church, like the redeemed Christian Church of God, are gathering you know, countless thousands of people to, uh, to pray through the night. Um, and because of that, I, I believe that that cry to heaven cannot go unanswered. Mm. And uh, just history teaches me that um, whenever there has been a mass move of prayer, there, there often comes a revival after that. And there certainly hasn't been a revival without a mass move of prayer beforehand. So I believe we may be just beginning to see something which looks like the turning of the tide. Some places the tide's still going out, in some ways it's coming in. New Wine is celebrating 30 years. Well, 30 uh, years of summer conferences. 30 years yeah. of summer conferences. And I said at the beginning, New Wine is perhaps best known for the summer conferences, but of course it is wider than that. Um, for someone who's brand new, never heard of New Wine before, 
where would you start? Would you start with the summer conferences or would you start with a bigger picture? Well, for most people, um, the way that they might meet us could be through the summer conferences. But if I was explaining it to somebody, I would usually say New Wine is a network of leaders and churches. And what we believe is that the nation is only changed through the renewal of the local church. And so we are always seeking to help local churches um, be renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit, um, know how to engage with the gifts of God, all for the sake of mission. Mm. And so um, many people connect through the summer conference, which we've been running. Uh, this will be our 31st this summer. But actually, there was new wine before the new wine summer conference in the sense that leaders were getting together to share what they were learning of God through the renewal work of the Holy Spirit and um, encouraging each other mm. to take it back into their churches and work it out mm. in the local context. It's seen, I think it's New Wine is still seen as a, as a kind of movement within the Church of England, but it's actually broader than that now, isn't it? It's not just a part of the Church of England that's, that's particularly pushing for renewal and things of the Spirit. Um, you include churches and Christians of other backgrounds as well. Well, absolutely. I, I think, I don't know how early that began, but I imagine it began quite early. Um, it's never been a denominational movement. You know, it's not Anglican Renewal Ministries, which was around at the time. Um, but like anything, when uh, something good comes, it tends to travel along networks. And so New Wine started in St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, which is an uh, Anglican church. And so in this country, at least, it traveled along networks that were largely Anglican. Uh, we're about two-thirds Church of England um, by almost every measure. So two-thirds of the leaders that are signed up to the network, two-thirds of the churches that attend, two-thirds of the uh, delegates that come to the summer conferences and the events through the year. But that's in England. In other countries, um, because New Wine has spread to 14, 15 different nations now, each with their own indigenous New Wine movement. In other countries, they are of different denominations, depending on where um, this vision for local church renewal in the power of the Spirit took root. So I was just in Sweden the last uh, few days, and uh, in Sweden, they're, they're mainly um, Baptists and Pentecostals. I often go to Finland. In Finland, they're mainly Lutherans. Mm. Um, next week, I'm going off to, to Holland, and uh, mainly over there, they're Reformed. You know, so it just it's different mm. in different places. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's been off to a New Wine event and has said, oh, I'm, I'm going to New Wine, and people thought I'm off to some sort of uh, wine, spirits, beer festival or, yeah. or something. <laughs> uh, where did the name come from? Well, I, I know what you mean, because when I took over as national leader of New Wine, uh, one of the things I noticed was that every week a brewery or a wine wholesaler <laughs> would follow me on Twitter. Um, but Brilliant. actually, New Wine, I'd been telling people for years that the name was because Jesus says new wine needs new wine skins. And often the best way to introduce renewal is to start something new alongside the old. Mm -hmm. And then gradually as that matures, you can bring it into the renewal of the existing service pattern. And that made a lot of sense to me. And I think that's what Jesus teaches. It's not actually why we have the name. Ah. So we held our first summer conference in 1989 and it rhymed. So they came up with the name <laughs> New Wine 89. No way. Um, there was never any intention to do this every year. And okay. so after the first year, they said, should we do this again? And um, having committed to it, they said, what should we call it next? And nobody could come up with anything that rhymed with 90. <laughs> so it became New Wine 90 and rolled on from there. So, so I was corrected by doing the work on the book. I now know the true story of how we got the name New Wine. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian publication, and it sponsors this show. There's still loads more to come from my guests today. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this.
Premier Christianity magazine, in this month's issue. We have an exclusive peek inside a modern Christian utopia when we visit the Bruderhof in East Sussex, a 300-strong community where all possessions are shared, crime and divorce are non-existent, and life is centred around Christ. Plus, we discover the evangelists reaching out to goths, metalheads and satanists. And we say goodbye to Soul Survivor after 26 years of the UK's best-loved Christian youth festival. All this and more in August's issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of the UK's leading Christian magazine, that's Premier Christianity, and the magazine sponsors this show, The Profile, on Premier Christian Radio. It's my honour and my delight to sit down with various Christian leaders each and every Saturday afternoon and hear some of their story. My guest on the show today is Paul Harcourt. He's the leader of New Wine, and New Wine United, which is their summer festival, is happening right now, week one is just coming to an end and week two is about to begin so if you're coming back from new wine then i hope this interview inspires you and if you're on your way to new wine then i hope you have a wonderful time and i hope that this interview gives a bit of context to what you're heading into so without any further ado let's rejoin my conversation with paul harcourt the new book is out now. It's called Greater Things, the Story of New Wine so far. Uh, look back on, on the history. Um, but what, but your involvement in terms of, I mean, you've been involved in New Wine for many years, but you became national leader nearly three years ago now. Yep. And I think it's fair to say you stepped into that role when there was the movement was going through quite a serious storm because your predecessor had resigned over an extramarital affair. Was it difficult to step into that role knowing that kind of a context? I think difficult times um, are, are opportunities to gather together and gather around. I mean, there's a, an old saying that says, never waste a crisis. And um, John Coles, who stepped back into leadership, having been a previous leader, um, just did a fantastic job of, of bringing us all together. We spent six months really seeking God for what do we need to learn from from one of our own, um, you know, coming into such a difficult time in his life. And, um, you know, could that be us? each of us looking at ourselves and saying you know we need we need really to throw ourselves upon the lord and know that by the grace of god we could e- easily end up doing the same sorts of things but equally we we were looking at the the whole thing of new wine and saying we know this is bigger than any individual and we asked the lord do you do you still want us here do we still carry something that mm. that um is a contribution that needs to be made that's quite a big prayer to pray for any ministry leaders to say god you still want this ministry in its current form to continue but you you prayed that quite seriously did you we did yeah and um we we asked the question inside the new wine family we asked the question of uh, friends outside and there was this unanimous sense of yeah there's, there's something on new wine that still is an important part of the church an important gift to to the church alongside other streams and um for me there was a, a very significant time because i think we came out of that six month period with a real clarity about who we are, what we're about, a recommitment to some of our core values. Um, and I was able then to come into leadership with with that sense of us actually, we're, we're really committed to this. We're ready to go for the next season. We're all together. We, we believe we are family together and we're highly committed to each other. Yeah. 
I guess some some leaders of organisations feel like they have a particular mandate or vision and they drive that forward and they, to a certain extent, kind of um, implement that and tell other people this is where we're going. And there are other leaders, I suppose, who who more work collaboratively and sense what everyone else is feeling and go forward together. It's been really interesting in the language you've used already. There's a lot of we, a lot of us. What is God calling us to do together? So would you say you lead in more of a way that is more collaborative, that is more what is God doing with all of us and less of a God has given me a distinct picture of this is exactly where we're going? Yeah, well, I've always thought whether it's the local church or something um, perhaps bigger, that um, my, my calling in that has always been to lead apostolically. And my understanding of that is to, to pioneer, to initiate, to, to create um, something which is um, sent. That's what apostle means. Apostle means sent. And so it's the restoration of mission to the church. So for me, this, is, this has been a, a season of saying, I'm really serious about it. Let's, let's Let's play our part in taking this land for Christ. Mm. But I'm also aware that there are different ways of being apostolic. There, right. There's the traditional model that perhaps people fear sometimes of the, the dominating type A leader, usually male. Um, and and that, that's not me. I, I've always felt that I want to be a consensus leader. Um, I, I do have clear vision. I will never go against that. You know, I'm, I'm not, this is not a democracy in that sense of, me being as me being leader and saying I don't know what to do. What does anybody else think? Sure, but I've got that clear sense of vision, and I know also that in order to make it happen, we need team, we need family, we need a relationship, and that's been a core value for New Wine really from the beginning. That mm. this is more than the ministry of any individual, which mm. is why we've been through four national leaders. Um, you know, a lot of organisations struggle to make that jump from generation to generation. But there's something about new wine there where this vision can be stewarded by different people in different seasons, mm. bringing what they bring. Yeah. D- did you have a, a list or an idea of exactly what you would want to achieve as your time of as leader? Like I think of um, the Archbishop of Canterbury. He always said he had three priorities coming in, um, which I'm not going to try and name because I always forget one of them. But you know, some leaders come in and th- and they think this is exactly what I want to do. This is my five year or my ten year plan. Have, have you ever had a sense of of that? Well, there were things that I felt passionately about that um, I wanted to see fuller expression of in in New Wine. One of them was I just wanted to see the Bible back in the hands of the teachers. I think there was a season where some of our invited speakers would come in and give great, inspiring, prophetic messages, but they wouldn't really root it that much in Scripture. And um, I've always been about the renewal of the local church. So for me, the conference was there to serve the network. The conference is there to serve the rest of the year. So we started using hashtags like other 50 weeks because we gather for two weeks for the sake of what happens in Mm. the other 50 weeks. This is not just an individual high point for us, but this is actually a time when the church comes together and we get refreshed and encouraged and equipped. We hear about what God is doing in other places and we get the opportunity to become part of that in our place. So when people say to me, you know, was it a great conference? I usually say, well, I won't know until I see what the church does in the year to come. Mm-hmm. So some of those emphases really is that, you know, just getting back to some of the core DNA of New Wine, so mm-hmm. based on the Bible, being more radically open to the Holy Spirit, really practicing the ministry of uh, praying for each other in the power of the Spirit and seeing the outworking of that in the local church. Mm. So those were some emphases I wanted to bring in this season. And I think being the type of person I am now, we're getting increasingly strategic about how many churches we want to see planted, how many leaders we want to see mentored and equipped so that they can lead renewal in their local church, 
how we can bring a pipeline of leadership so that uh, people are coming through from from early ages into whatever God has for them, but they're getting this vision and value and running with it for their life. And even things like the playing our part in the renewal of the other parts of culture. So what does it mean for the kingdom of God to come in business and politics and sports and all the different aspects of human life? I wonder if we're um, seeing a bit of a change when it comes to summer conf- well, Christian conferences in general and speakers. You, you talk about Bible teachers and, and adjusting that slightly in terms of who's speaking and wanting to, wanting to be more biblical, biblically rooted. Um, I was at a conference recently where they released the list of the topics of seminars, but they didn't tell you who was speaking. So you booked your seminar based purely on topic rather than the person bringing the message, which I thought was an interesting way of doing it. And actually looking across the board at some summer conferences, I'd include new wine in this, um, aren't, and, I, and I mean this as a compliment or criticism, but uh, <laughs> the, the speakers you would have on a main stage aren't necessarily the most well-known people in the evangelical Christian world. And I've, I've noticed other festivals are doing this. They're not necessarily going after a huge name and hoping people book in to see that big name. And I wonder if we're seeing a, quite a healthy change there where it becomes less about a particular person or a big name speaker and more about community, more about, well, if my church is going to New One, I'm going with them. I'm not, I'm not gathering to a big name speaker. I'm going because I'm part of this community that's part of this network. And I think this isn't just happening in, in New Wine, but I've observed it in your movement. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Is there any truth in that? Oh, I think there is, actually. I mean, we, we know that there, um, there are people who come to New Wine and they really don't even know who the speakers are going to be. But they're coming because they're part of something and they come as a church. Um, we we had a prophetic word given to us during the season when we were we were praying about where, where new wine was going and who should lead it in this new season, and um, in one of the meetings we just very clearly I remember we were given this word, we need to learn to eat the fruit of our own tree, hmm. and that for me meant that we we need to learn that renewal's been in our in our blood for 30 to 40 years and God's been bringing people up one of the reasons why I wanted to tell the story of greater things is that out of the new wine family have come all these amazing things that sometimes people don't even realize were part of new wine mm-hmm. so Mike Pilavachi and Soul Survivor was part of the new wine that was the new wine new youth, youth work for yeah. five years yeah. yeah Matt Redman Tim Hughes and many of the worship leaders that now have you know global influence were were young people in New Wine and they got their first opportunities to lead worship in a conference setting at New Wine. And so we need to be confident that's going to be the case with speakers and seminar leaders as well. And we want to start, we want to tell the story of what the church is doing in our churches. Mm. Uh, what the, sorry, what the Spirit is doing in our churches. And so um, it made sense for us to say, well, we don't need to always go somewhere else. Yeah. Equally, we, we know that we have much to learn from other streams in the church. So we'll always bring in people we want to hear the voice of the second and third world church. We want to be um, resourced by people coming from perhaps slightly different traditions. We want to be challenged by somebody who's carrying something in this season. So we pray a lot about who to invite. But yeah, if you were to look at the speaker lineup at New mm. Wine, you'd see a lot of people who are based here. Tell me some of the amazing stories you've had from the, again, from the summer events when it comes to miracles when it comes to healings i mean i I know this having been to event myself for many years the most incredible stories coming forward during times of ministry of i've just been prayed for and this has happened what what are the memories that stand out for you looking back well i suppose there are always personal memories i mean there there have been people who have got out of wheelchairs there are people who've 
come with um, a crutch that they no longer need. Um, and when you've been able to see that change personally, that's that's incredible. I mean, I remember praying for someone who's um, had no hearing in, in their ear and was their hearing was completely restored. Um, I've, I've seen, um, you know, numerous couples have come who've been struggling to have children, have been prayed for, they're back the next year presenting the baby that God's blessed them with. Um, so it's just so exciting to see things like that, and it does raise faith. One of the things about New Wine, though, is that it, we have this mature theology that we got from John Wimber of the kingdom of God being now here, it's present. You know, we can get uh, the inbreaking of God and know healing and salvation and deliverance. But Jesus told us to pray for the coming of the kingdom as well. So it's not yet fully here. And so we live in that tension of um, seeing things which excite us and, and make us realize that God is able to do the, anything, the impossible, but also living sometimes with things that aren't, aren't healed. Mm. Yeah, and is there a, still a need to develop more theology around that? Um, of what about when God doesn't heal? Is is that something that we still need to be talking about? Do you think? Well, I think um, I think there is a lot of good theology around it. I think the New Wine theology has been quite mature for quite a long time. Um, when I I lead New Wine, I have two children on the autistic spectrum. You know, loads of people have prayed for them. We love them. They're a great blessing. But in many ways, people would look at it and say, well, they haven't been healed. But so we're living with this tension, and it is a kingdom tension you have to live with. Mm. Anybody who goes after the things of the Spirit will experience some level mm. of disappointment as well as victory and triumph and all of that. Mm. But we make sure in the seminar programs that we're addressing issues of mental health, um, issues of, of all sorts of different areas in which we might struggle. And I think one of the things that's happening now is that there's more maturity in how we might engage outside the church with that as well. Tell me more about that. What, what do you mean in terms of maturity outside of the church when it comes to healing? Well, we've been doing a series of um, teaching events on, on wholeness. Um, we've seen out of New Wine all sorts of ministries arise. Like Taste Life is um, a ministry that uh, focuses on helping people with eating disorders. Mm. And um, that's now being very helpful and influential even in the health service where um, the health service is overwhelmed with people really struggling with that sort of thing. And that came out of a vision that somebody got, um, an encounter that she had, how she was being helped to help her own daughter. Um, and New Wine has been able to get behind that and bless that in the last few years. And we've seen that with number, a number of partners, um, Kintsugi Hope with Patrick Reagan, right, yeah. doing some great work in mental health as well. Um, Ariana Walker and Mercy UK, Keys to Freedom. You know, there's a number of things mm. that God seems to be raising up to, to serve the church, but also that the church can then share into the wider community. Mm. I was looking um, on the New Wine website under the heading Mission Areas, and one of the first things that comes up under Mission is accessibility. And I found that really interesting because I think for a lot of people, when they think Mission, they don't necessarily think making our church services accessible so for those who are disabled can experience the service in the same way or and of course accessibility is a very broad term and and i'm sure you'd want to make church and you want accessible in lots of different areas to, to really cater for everyone but but you mentioned you have experienced this in your own family don't you um with with disabled children can you talk more about that and and i imagine having that so close to home must influence the way you then think on a bigger picture of how do we make our events and how do we make our churches accessible for um for, for those who are disabled or for those who need extra help in some way. Yes. I mean, so Becky and I started attending the New Wine Summer Conference around about 1996, um, before we had children. 
Um, our first came along in 1999. Um, but as he grew, we were getting to the point of realizing that he did have special needs. And then the whole idea of, are we going to camp in a field with an autistic child? I mean, it, it just seems impossible. Um, what we were really blessed by was that God had already given the vision to people in New Wine to start um, supporting families that might bring an additional or special need. And we have an amazing ministry called Our Place. Our Place has now grown over the years to not just children, but also to youth. Um, we include into the summer event in the youth-appropriate groups wherever we can. But some children need something that's more special for them. And so we have places they can go to. We now have got to the stage of having the same sort of thing for adults um, and also for carers. So it's been an amazing story. But our experience in, in my own church and our own life is that when you have a child with additional needs or, or maybe even an adult in your family with additional needs, you'll often think there's no way we could go to church mm. because they're, they're not going to cope with what we will present as a challenge. And often from the church's side, of course, when somebody turns up, we don't turn them away, but we often say, oh, we weren't really expecting you. We're not really sure that we can cope with the, the needs you bring. And so there's a big unreached people group out there. Mm. You know, families where there are additional needs who can't access worship and uh, the opportunity to encounter God and hear the gospel. That is a group of people that needs to be reached. And so the church is learning all the time. How can we make the gospel accessible? How can we make the mm. community of faith and the worship experience mm. accessible to people? And we've seen amazing strides forward in that through the summer conference where we now um, support somewhere between 450 and 500 families each year where there's additional needs. But through through that and through modeling what can be done, lots of churches now are picking that up and putting it into practice in the local setting week by week. Mm. Um, I wanted to go back and talk a bit about the, we mentioned the different speakers at New Wine. And I thought it'd be great to ask you, someone who's obviously been involved in New Wine for so long, um, what's the best, what's the most memorable sermon you've heard given at New Wine and what was the effect that it had on you? Oh, wow. Um, well, if you spoke to a lot of people, uh, they would probably, more recently, they were, they were really impacted by John Mark Comer, which was about three years ago. He is one of my heroes. And he sat in that chair about two or three years ago and did an interview with us. Probably It was probably on the same trip he came over to speak at New Wine. So. And I, I, my, my memory was that he didn't say anything that nobody had said before, but right. the, the way that he was living it out so, so passionately and so authentically, really connected with people. Um, and perhaps it was fresh for a new generation. I, I can think back over all sorts of times, um, you know, some going back to some talks of David Pitches, and um, I, I remember being incredibly impacted by a, an American vineyard pastor called Steve Nicholson. Um, used to love the preaching of, of Rich Nathan. Um, over the years, uh, John Coles has spoken into my life on numerous occasions and quite often from a platform. <laughs> yeah, for me, I think... Um, just just the vision of the local church has has been communicated to me by passionate people in the new wine context year after year and i go away believing that god's church is beautiful and lovely and worth giving my all to serve and extend mm. um we mentioned soul survivor earlier soul survivor came out of new wine and there's this amazing thing it's, it's almost come full circle hasn't it because soul survivor is finishing this summer 
And Mike Pilavacci has spoken about how he believes God wants to raise up lots of other events to almost to kind of plug the gap that Soul Survival will leave. Because we're talking about thousands and thousands of young people who would normally go away in the summer and they're going to be looking for something else to do. And of course, New Wine is going to be starting a youth event from 2020. You've called it a, an event within an event. Um, so there's this amazing full circle that's happened with New Wine sending off Soul Survivor and then Soul Survivor finishing and it seems like youth is coming back into New Wine in a stronger well, way. I, I don't think it's quite right. I think um, what we're doing is we're massively expanding our youth provision. So we we have had an amazing New Wine youth. So when Soul Survivor um, was floated off as a separate youth uh, festival, which happened five years after New Wine began, there wasn't. It wasn't that New Wine youth didn't exist anymore. What happened was it started regrowing within the all age conference. And so for the last few years, we've been seeing thousands of people coming to to New Wine as youth. Um, having an amazing experience but with soul survivor stopping mm-hmm. obviously we know that um there'll there'll be a lot of churches where um they've been split between new wine and soul survivor for uh, before so now it will make total sense for them to come together we're calling this event luminosity um, luminosity luminosity yeah so the vision behind it really is that we want to see a generation that will shine it's the generation that knows what it is to be in the light and to drive back the darkness and so um, there's going to be uh, a particular area of the campsite at Peterborough, which means that um, churches can come as a church where all the ages are camping together. So young people could come with their family and go on to that site or youth groups could come as a youth group and they could do exactly the sole survivor experience and be permanently on that area of the site. So it's almost like having two festivals alongside each other, mm-hmm. an event within an event. There you go. Um, a huge part of what New Wine does is in a, equipping and training, raising up leaders. So what are the unique challenges facing UK church leaders at the moment? And how is New Wine seeking to help? Well, I think um, with the way that training is going, a lot of people now are getting less input in their training. The good thing is they're getting much more contextually based training. So they'll be working in churches at the same time as studying. But there's always a need for leaders to be mentored in actually how to bring change. So um, college is not necessarily the best place to learn how to um, move with the Holy Spirit, how to partner with God in the renewal of the church. College is a time when perhaps people dig out deep wells of theology and they go deep with that sort of side of stuff. But it's not necessarily the time when they, they learn the pragmatic um, tools of how to how to renew church, how to lead. So a lot of leaders are facing um, quite lonely, isolated situation where more is being demand of, demanded of them when they feel that they've got less and less resource all the time. Um, they perhaps haven't had the training or experience. Um, going forward and, and leading the church into renewal is an experience that can be very difficult, very painful, involves quite a lot of spiritual warfare. So for all those reasons, we need to bring people together. So we often say, you know, ministry can be lonely, but nobody needs to be alone. Mm. And so we have about 70 network groups over the country, um, local gatherings where people can come together, encourage each other around this vision, be sharpened up in it. Increasingly, those network groups are having a training aspect. We've got lots of mentoring groups where people can come together and really walk with a more experienced leader through what it is to, to change church, we're doing particular mentoring groups for church planters and for leaders of larger churches that want to learn how to plant more rapidly. 
So there are lots of occasions really for um, coming together around this vision of the local church changing the nation. Hmm. Uh, this uh, this summer, it's going to be, as you say, in Peterborough, not in Shepton Mallet. And Shepton Mallet has been the home of New Wine summer events for, as you say, for 30 years. So quite a big change. Um, tell us how that change came about and what it means for New Wine going forward into the future. Well, if we roll back a few years... Um, We've always had a, a sense that new wine is here to to see renewal come to the whole of England. That's mm. the field we feel God's given us. There is a new wine Wales. There used to be a new wine Scotland. There's a new wine Ireland. But our, ours is new wine England. And um, as new wine's grown, there was this sense that we really want to be accessible to the whole country. A lot of the north found Shepton Mallet quite hard to get to. We just started a conference, um, firstly at Harrogate and then at Newark which was really successful, but the economics of running conferences made it impossible to sustain. So we've come back together for a few years, but we've been looking for a way to be more centrally located in the country. So when the opportunity came up to be at Peterborough, um, we really prayed through and did all of our due diligence and just felt this is something we should go for. Now we realized that going to a new site, there's a lot of new problems that we're gonna have to solve. It's new for everybody. We wondered if people will come with us. But by the grace of God, the people are really excited about this move and we're going to be bigger this year than we were last year and um, looks like it's going to be an amazing time. And New Wine is actually taking place right now. We've just come to the end of week one of New Wine and week two is beginning tomorrow. So if you've been to New Wine or you're about to head over there for week two, I hope you have the best time with Paul Harcourt and everyone else. That was Paul Harcourt, the leader of New Wine, talking to me, Sam Hales, this afternoon on the profile here on Premier Christian Radio. Great to hear about the history of that event and that movement, that network of churches. We at Premier Christianity Magazine sponsor this show every Saturday afternoon here on Premier Christian Radio. The profile, we sit down with a different Christian leader each and every week. And I should say that our deputy editor, Megan Cornwell, who you've often heard interviewing people on this show, is at New Wine for week two. So if you are heading down there, do make sure you say hello to her. She'll be conducting lots of interviews with some of the fascinating speakers they've got there. And you'll see all of that content turning up in a future issue of Premier Christianity magazine. If you're not already a subscriber and you'd like to get a hold of the UK's leading Christian magazine, through your letterbox each and every month then why not take out our latest subscription offer get a free book or a free cd when you subscribe that's premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe if you're listening live on premier christian radio and you'd like to catch up with any of that interview you missed why not check out the profile as a podcast just go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile or search for the profile wherever you normally get your podcasts from and you'll be able to access not only that interview with paul harcourt but actually our huge archive well over 150 different interviews with leading christians from around the world For now, I hope you have a great rest of your weekend and we will see you next time.